Luke chapter 16. Just keep it open. That's what we're going to be talking about. It was several weeks ago we saw um, the beginning of Luke 16, and we talked about that great parable about the unjust steward. And what I thought I would do this afternoon is preach one more message, not on the parable itself, but on one of the applications that Jesus makes from that parable. Now, if you weren't here, or if you were here, I am just going to review this shortly. There is a master, and there is a manager, and the manager is found to be wasting his master's possessions. And the master wants to, him to give an account of his management and be removed from his position. Chuck, could you turn the AC on? So the manager begins to panic, and he wonders how he's going to provide for himself in the future. And so he calls his master's debtors in one by one, and he slashes the amount that they owe the master, one of them by 50%. And he does that so when he is in great need, whether he needs a place to stay, whether he needs future employment, whether he just needs daily provisions, he would have made friends for himself by using his master's resources. Okay? That's what the parable was about. And the application Jesus makes from the parable is that the people of this world are more shrewd in how they prepare for the future than are the people of God's kingdom. So the people in the world will think about and they will prepare for a very temporal future which is going to end. And they're better at doing that than Christians are at thinking about preparing for an eternal future that will never end. Okay, so that's the contrast there. Jesus does not say, wow, this guy was so great, look how he deceived his boss. But he does say, look how shrewd he was in preparing for the future, and why can't my disciples be that shrewd? Okay, so that's like the big idea. I'm just going to read what he said in verse 9 of chapter 16. He says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So Jesus is addressing us here and he's saying, listen up, disciple. Use your master's resources to make friends for yourselves so that when those resources that have been allotted to you fail, which there is an end coming to all of this, you will have invested in your future. You will have made friends for yourself through gospel connections who will welcome you into the kingdom of God. Okay, So that is the big idea of the parable. That was application number one. And there is a second application found in verse 10. He says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. 
Now, this is a theme common throughout your New Testament, and that is your stewardship over God's things. God is the giver of every good thing, and He gives us gifts, and we, as recipients of those gifts, are to manage them. So a Christian is a steward. We don't use that word very often. Manager fits better with our lingua franca. And so as managers, we are to use God's stuff for His kingdom. That means whether your resources are great or small, you manage what God has put under your charge. And what Jesus does here in verse 10 is talk about our obedience in this area. And in doing so, He touches on an issue that goes beyond money. Jesus uses money to examine the heart. Money becomes a tool in the divine hand to reveal your heart. Now, I have shared with you my aversion to teaching on money. I told you a couple weeks ago I don't like it. I try not to do it very often. And yet here I am teaching on it again. And that is because when you go through a book of the Bible, whether it is a letter or a gospel or an Old Testament book, you teach on what comes next and so I taught on the parable and then at the end of the parable last time I fast forwarded through the rest and I really thought we should focus a little more on what he says in this other application and so that's why we are doing it again but I am just sharing that with you because as most of you know this is not a church where we are constantly asking you to give but this is a sermon about giving and so that is what is in our text. You and I live in a world where we are constantly spending money. Have you noticed that? You receive a check, whether it's through your vocation, maybe for some of you it's retirement benefits, maybe some of you it's even like Social Security or government assistance. And your goal with money, your whole life has always been to make sure you have more than you spent. That is a good goal with money. So you need to buy food, you need to buy clothing, you need to pay your rent or mortgage, you need to put gas in your car, you need to pay your bills, and you need to pay your taxes. And it seems like everywhere you turn, people are lining up to take some of that money that you have. And here on top of all that, the Bible tells you to give freely and generously. And the temptation for us, especially for those of us who have very limited resources, is to see giving as something as something kind of less important than the other things. Right? You you have to pay your rent, you have to pay your bills, you have to have food. And so giving sort of trickles down the important scale and it's really kind of an afterthought. Giving is seen by some as what you could do if you wanted with whatever excess you had remaining. And some adopt the mindset, maybe to assuage their conscience, that they will be faithful in giving once God gives them enough to give. Maybe the thinking is, well, if I had more, I would give. But since I don't have, I cannot give. 
Now, this is where the Word of God comes along and corrects our thinking. And don't we need our thinking always corrected? (laughs) You are a manager of God's things, and as a manager, you must have this mindset and no other mindset. You ready for this? If God has given you a lot, or if God has given you a little, you are to be faithful with what He has given That is the principle. You use it, at least some of it, for His glory in some kind of gospel ministry. If you are rich, you do this. If you are poor, you do this. And what God is looking for is faithfulness. This means God is not looking for you to reach some kind of dollar amount as if God has some blanket idea of how much every single person should be giving. But whatever you give should be reflective of what God has given you in some part. God will allot to each of us a certain amount of money throughout our lifetime, and what we do with that money will have eternal consequences for better or for worse. That is the Bible's teaching on money. So consider verse 10 again. This is, this is the words, these are the words of Jesus Himself. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Now please note, faithfulness is the main idea here and not how much you possess. Look at the language. He says, one who is faithful in very little. He could have said little, but he said very little. This is the one who is struggling to make ends meet. This is someone who has trouble paying their rent. This is someone who has trouble keeping their cupboard stocked. This is someone who is on a very tight budget. And please notice that Jesus expects them also to be faithful. And the amount is irrelevant in the eyes of God because God is the bestower of your resources. I won't say entirely irrelevant, but it should be somewhat related to what He has given you, but I think you get the idea. Uh, It's not like heaven is going to be filled with plaques on the wall of the highest donors. You ever been to some kind of building like an animal shelter or a library and they exist through fundraising and they have donors on the wall and the ones at the top are the highest donors and sometimes they'll even name the building after the person. Heaven is not going to be like that. God is not looking for a dollar amount. God is looking for faithfulness. The person whose income is $12,000 a year is called to the same level of faithfulness as the person whose income is $120,000 a year. Now, obviously, the one who makes more money is in the position to be more generous with it. But generally speaking, large numbers is not what God is seeking. So the idea that one must reach a certain level of income to begin to become generous And invest in God's things is an unbiblical rationalization. We are called to give because we have all been given. 
Jesus teaches about this in another parable. Keep your finger there. Turn a few pages to the right. Luke chapter 19. I mentioned this is a theme in the New Testament. It is a theme among some of the parables. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. It says, as they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Okay? Ten servants, ten minas. That means they each got one. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. So these aren't the servants. These are the citizens. And this is the rejection of Jesus by the Jews. Jesus has his servants who are going to go out and work for him, but the citizens rejected him. Okay, So that's the picture. Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, this is a picture of the Christ's return, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, notice that, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You, you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And for the sake of our discussion, we can stop there. We don't, that's the point I just wanted to make in that section. All of the servants are given very little. Jesus says that himself. And those who invested that very little amount in their master's work were commended by the master. But one of them is shown as an example of someone who didn't. In fact, I think it's interesting, his unwillingness to use his master's resources and put them to work results in him having a very distorted perspective of the master. Did you catch that? He said, you are a severe man and you do this and you do that. You act unjustly. He was accusing the master. Which makes me think that it's a picture of what this kind of sin can do to a person's heart. The, uh, the, the, the person who is not generous. But for the others, it was their faithfulness that is commended. And of course, the result of their efforts is rewarded accordingly. Now, back to Luke uh, 16. So, because faithfulness is the key and not the amount, no one can say on the day that the master returns, 
you'd never gave me enough. No one can say to him, you did not give me enough, and that's why I did not give. Because people do think that. They think, I can't give because I don't have enough. And what usually follows that is, well, if I made X amount of dollars, then I would give. Now, this kind of thinking might make sense to some, but God says otherwise. Again, verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little. What does he mean there? means he's not generous with it. He's selfish with it. He's not investing it in the kingdom. Is also dishonest in much. So, this tells us the person who is not faithful with a few resources is not all of a sudden going to become faithful if they are given many resources. That's what he says. Don't think, yeah, if I became really rich though, I would be generous. Not according to Jesus. I think if you think that way, you're self-deceived. Because faithfulness with a little is faithfulness with much. And deceitfulness with a little is deceitfulness with much. And if you had more, it does not seem like Jesus is saying you would then become generous. The reason is that the heart is deceitful. And if we are not generous on a tight budget... We will not become generous if given a larger budget. To say it another way, a stingy poor man will be a stingy rich man. Money is a tool in the divine hand to reveal the heart. Now Jesus goes on from here to verse 11. And He says, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? <clears throat> now, why does he call it unrighteous wealth? I think maybe because money has the ability to ensnare and to enslave the sons of Adam. Isn't that true? Isn't money used for all kinds of evil and people's love of money, all kinds of destruction? People will drive themselves into the ground for money. They will destroy their health. They will destroy relationships. They will become angry and embittered. Money can make them suspicious of others. And you take the love of money to the extreme and you have every kind of evil. Kidnapping, extortion, slavery, human trafficking, drug smuggling, and so on and so on. And the worst part of all of it is it's all, it's all just temporal. Money in and of itself does not have some kind of beautiful eternal connection in and of itself. It is going to perish along with everything. So, this temporal, transient, perishing resource that is so highly sought after in this world 
has no intrinsic value of itself, but it is a great tool to reveal people's commitments. Verse 11, if then you have been not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? Jesus says unfaithfulness with the master's resources, that's the unrighteous wealth, will keep you from what he calls true riches. So there's a contrast here. There's the one that is temporal and it is called unrighteous. And then there's the other kind, which is the true kind, which is eternal. Now, Jesus does not specify what he means by true riches, but I imagine it has to do with blessings of future service to God in this world and eternal blessings in the world to come. In fact, the parable we just read in Luke 19, the faithful servant has a little bit and he invests it and God puts him in charge of ten cities. So he, he goes from managing one mina for the master to managing ten cities. That's a picture of someone using the unrighteous wealth and turning it into true riches. And because the parable is concerning Christ's return, I think it, is, it makes sense to see this as God rewarding you in the Master's kingdom. <clears throat> that then flows naturally into verse 12 where he says, And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now notice he's referring to the unrighteous wealth that you possess as belonging to another. See that in verse 12? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, what is the thing that he's talking about? He's talking about the unrighteous wealth. It's the same thing he's talking about all the way through. So Jesus describes your resources in this life as belonging to another. Who do you think that another is? So we'll make sure you guys are awake. Who's the another? God. Good. So we need to change the way we think about our stuff. We tend to think our stuff is ours. And here comes God saying He wants some of our stuff. Right? God is getting in line but behind all the bill collectors, behind the landlord and all the rest, and He says He wants some of our stuff too. But that is not the right way we are to think about our stuff. That is not the picture of it from God's vantage point. Rather, you are His servant, and He has given you a certain amount of wealth and you are to be faithful with what He has given you. God is not asking for some of your stuff. He's asking you to manage His stuff. Everything comes from God. Your health, your strength, your intelligence, your skills, your abilities, the way you think, 
the influences in your life, all the connections you have ever made, all of your relationships, all of your failures, all of your victories, all of these life experiences are forming and shaping you and giving you the ability to provide for yourself and to be a manager unto God. And while it is true that you work nine to five at your job and you earn money, everything comes from God and you could do nothing apart from Him. Even every beat of your heart and every breath that you take, He is sovereign over everything in your life and He can take it all away in a moment or He can give you more. And so we are always to keep in mind that we are stewards over God's things and not over our things. This is why Jesus says here in verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, that's God's resources here on earth, who will give you that which is your own? Which I think is a reference to your rewards in heaven. Right? So think back of the parable again in Luke 19. The servant in that parable is faithful with his master's goods and his master rewards him by making him a ruler in his kingdom, which I think is a picture of heaven. And the point is, if you cannot be faithful with what belongs to God, how is God going to reward you in eternity by giving you what truly belongs to you? True and lasting possessions that moth and rust cannot destroy, thief cannot break in and steal. And so, hopefully you are seeing here in 10, 11, and 12 this theme of faithfulness. God is interested in your faithfulness. So let me summarize. You are a manager of God's things, not your own. God is interested in your faithfulness, not in the amount that you give, although there is a connection. I'll explain that in a moment. God is interested in your giving toward the work that He is doing today, not in your withdrawing from a perceived lack of resources. And then God is interested in you being faithful with what is His so that He might entrust to you that which is your own. Now, in the last few minutes, I thought I would answer a couple of questions that might come up in your thinking as you hear this teaching on giving. As I was going through this passage, I was thinking, what are some questions that people would be asking to themselves that I am not going to be able to answer in this time that I've been given? So let me take a shot at it, and I have three questions I'm going to answer. Question number one, doesn't God require a tithe? Doesn't God require a tithe? Now, a tithe means a tenth. And a lot of churches teach that God requires from you, Christian, a tenth of your income. So you are to tithe. As you know, tithing was a practice in the Old Testament. And it was the way that the nation supported the Levitical priesthood. So that every member of the nation was required to give 10% to support the tribe of Levi so that they could be priests in Israel and concentrate on being ministers. So when people think of tithe, they think of 10% to the priesthood. 
But in Israel, the tithe was not just 10%. There were other tithes also. Every seven years, there were festival tithes, which helped pay for those feasts that God required throughout the calendar year. There was also another tithe every three years that was meant to benefit the poor. And so while we think tithe is 10%, in Israel, a tithe was more than 10%. It was more like 20%. And then every few years, it was closer to 30%. So what we discover with the Old Testament economy is that this thing called the tithe is more like a taxation for the nation of Israel than the kind of giving that God requires of his New Testament church. Because when you get into the New Testament, guess how many times tithing is is taught in the New Testament? Zero times. Not even once. It is not a New Testament concept because tithing was an aspect of the law and Christians are not under the law. What you have instead is a free will giving that is a response to what God has given you much like we see here about faithfulness. So the only criteria is that you are told to give cheerfully. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. Paul is talking about giving, and he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, he says each one must give, notice he doesn't say 10%, that would have been very easy for Paul to say, but he says as he has decided in his heart. So you come to church and you say, I'm going to give this much. And he goes on to say, you don't do it under compulsion. So that means if I or anyone else is pressuring you or guilting you or shaming you for not giving more or for not giving X amount of dollars, there are churches that say if you are to be a member of our church, we need to see your finances and you must give X amount of dollars. That is called giving under compulsion. We are not to do that. If I ever pressure you to give and try to make it a salvation issue or that you are unfaithful to God if you don't give X amount of dollars, walk away from me. That is giving under compulsion. You are not to do that. Rather, you are to support the local ministry and you are to support whatever needs that God puts in front of you with a cheerful and joyful heart, eager to give and eager to be generous, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. Now, my family used to use 10% as a guideline. So in our thinking, just to keep us on track with giving, we would want our giving to be at least 10%, just to kind of make sure we are not falling behind and regularly giving. If you do that, that's fine. We're not putting ourselves under law by doing that, but we're just thinking of it as kind of a guide. But the problem with the 10% giver is, 
and, and the people who tithe count it all the way down to the penny, and there's, here's my faithfulness to God. Here's my 10% of exactly how much I've earned. Then when another need comes along that God would have them give to, they say, uh, I've already given to God. I don't need to do that. That's the problem with the tither. So Christians do not tithe in the Old Testament sense. A second question I thought might come up with you as I taught on this. What does faithfulness in giving look like when you have very little? So I mentioned several times God is not interested in the amount. And what I mean to say is you don't have to be a big flashy giver to be faithful. I didn't mean that there's no relevance in the amount. Certainly you give according to what God has given to you. There's got to be a relationship there. If you make a a million dollars a year and you give a thousand dollars that year, that is not being faithful relative to what God has given you. Hopefully that makes sense. But maybe you have very little and you are on a very tight budget and you are clipping coupons and you are cutting corners. How can you be faithful in that situation? Well, everyone's situation is a little bit different and everyone's um, bills and What's required of them is a little bit different, their level of income, etc. But I think there is a general principle that you can still set your heart to be generous even if you just have a very little. And so if you're budgeted out and God is not in that budget, then you need to rearrange things so that God is in that budget. And maybe you can skip eating out if that's keeping you from being generous to God, maybe you can cut here and there. Let's say you're a big fan of ice cream and you go buy ice cream and there's the generic ice cream and it's just not as good and then there's Breyer's ice cream and you're like, oh yeah, I'll kick down an extra three bucks for that one. Maybe if you are not being faithful in managing God's resources, you could say, I'm going to sacrifice and buy the cheaper ice cream that I don't like as much, or whatever it is. If there's a certain shampoo, you're just like, oh, I have to have the more expensive one. Get the cheaper one, or do something different, or stop eating ice cream. But find ways to where you can say, Lord, I want to honor you and be faithful with what you've given me. And, and even though everything's really tight, I want to glorify you with what you have given to me. Now, we all know the cost of living is increasing. Everyone who's gone to fill up their car has seen that. But I still think that if you set your heart towards being generous, that putting God first in everything, He will make a way for you to give. And I think in our society, we really have become blind to how much we have. I was talking to a missionary one time, and he had been, I don't even remember what country he was in for 10 years or so, but he came back to the U.S. to go to Master's Seminary, and he couldn't believe how much people spent on coffee at Starbucks. He said, these guys would spend 350 on a coffee. 
And I'm thinking, you can get like a $10 coffee. Those caramel macchiatos and all that. But he was saying how far 350 would go on the mission field. He's like, you could feed a family for a whole week on that. And, you know, we're throwing around. And, and these seminary guys weren't rich. I mean, these guys were budgeted too. But it just, it was a reminder to me that, yeah, we do have a lot at our disposal. And we do fall into habits of spending where we think, oh, I'm just broke all the time when we are out buying the fancy coffees and stuff, okay? So he wants us to be shrewd, right? That was the big idea of the parable that we saw last time. He wants us to be shrewd. He wants us to think about the future. He wants us to invest wisely. The third question is kind of similar to this last one, but someone might ask, should I still give if I am in debt? Should I still give if I am in debt? So you want to give, but you are behind in your payments. I mean, you get that bill in the mail, and most of them have the red going across it, and you're $400 short on rent this month. What do you do? So my first answer would be, you strive to get out of debt as quickly as you can which means you get rid of your credit cards, you cut down any kind of extra spending that is not a necessity. Okay, So you're cutting out all kinds of things. You have cable, you're spending $100 a month on cable, you get rid of your cable. Uh, you know, you, you, you find things that are not necessities, and hey, maybe the time six months or a year without cable is going to just do you really good spiritually. <laughs> I mean, look, think of all the reading you could do. But you cut out the non-essentials. You stop buying music. You stop going to the movies. You stop going to Starbucks. You stop going to the, the drive-thru. You can sell some of what you have and pay off your bills. You can get a part-time job a couple nights a week. There are lots of ways to make money in this land. You can be an Uber driver now. You can drive people around Fillmore and they will pay you to drive, drive them around <laughs> or wherever they want to go. You can deliver pizza a couple times a week, but the point is you are working and working and working diligently to try to get out of debt so that you will be a more faithful steward of what God has given to you. You can even hire a financial coach. Do you know what that is? Someone in our congregation, Brian Kraft, is a financial coach. You didn't even know what that is, do you? <laughs> he looks at all of your stuff. This is not a, the whole sermon was not made so that I could plug Brian's business, but I'm going to do it anyway. He looks at all of your spending, and he shows you how you can get yourself out of debt quickly. If you need to do that, see him. But the point is, there are ways that you can move forward and get yourself out of debt so that you can be more faithful with what God has given you. And with all that said, I still think even Christians who are in debt can give to the Lord. I still think you can show some level of faithfulness to God, even if it's by making personal sacrifices like cutting out some of the things in your life and saying, I'm going to give this money to the Lord's work because I want Him to see me as faithful we are called to be generous 
We are called to invest in the things of God. We are called to put first the kingdom of God. In fact, God even says in several places in the Bible, if you put him first in giving, he will bless you. He will bless you. In fact, one of the quickest ways, I think, to get out of debt is to get your financial priorities rearranged, and one of those is putting God first in everything. Now, this does not mean you go out and spend money you do not have. This does not mean you go into debt by giving to the church. It just means you make it a point to give out of what you have, and if it's very little this time, then you give very little. In conclusion, Paul writes to the Philippians and he encourages them to give to the Macedonian church who is in need. And he tells them this. After giving them this big um, exhortation to give, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And so as an elder in this church, one of my responsibilities is to encourage you in faithfulness in every area, and that includes giving. I do not want your money. Our church does not have a need right now that I am trying to rah, 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 get everyone to give. I just want to see you faithful in this area and so that um, it will increase your eternal joy and your everlasting reward. Heavenly Father, we, we want to be faithful in everything. And I pray that as you come, as you return and examine us, you will find that we were faithful with what you have allotted to us. And Lord, for those who maybe need some help in this area. May this be an encouragement to them. May this not be a guilt trip to them. May this not be a rebuke or a chastisement to them. But may this be a good reminder and a good encouragement that we should strive to be faithful, knowing that it is pleasing to You and knowing that it will reap an eternal benefit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.